we're back. Oh man, I forgot to bring the microphone in. Just hang on. Oh my goodness, I'm knocking everything over. <laughs> a comedy I of errors. It was all going too smoothly there. Um, all right, so we're back. We're doing our thing. Um, man, last week was scandalous. Well, it wasn't last week, two weeks ago. Scandalous. It just, it was everything everyone hoped it would be. Um, I've just, just the ratings are through the roof. That's how you do it, people. You, want, you just put out some clickbait. Shame, shame on you if you fell for that. Um, what, did, what did you even call it in the end? I missed the, uh, missed the last the word on lockdowns. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that, that sounds like something I would come up with. I saw we had 20 <laughs> extra views on YouTube than the, than the average. I mean, that's like, Dude, I mean, how many extra views? 20, 20 extra views. Like, 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 like breaking like, the ceiling. Like, like a quarter more than usual. That's just pure <laughs> clickbait right there. <laughs> I was like 200% over uh, usual. Um, but um, yep. So, I, you know, I feel like um, I was the star of that show. I think yeah, that definitely. was, that was definitely the case. And um, I'm pretty sure that we're well liked and well loved by everyone at this point. Yeah. Mm. But I, um, I, for one, have not heard of any disagreements or any people <laughs> disliking anything that was said. <laughs> You know, and I think everyone's totally on board, which is great. It's which is great to solve that problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, in all honesty, obviously we went into it, both eyes open. And uh, what I like about that sort of thing, though, and, and you know, it happens every now and again, is, is that we, uh, you know, we get to work it through. Like, what I really do appreciate is that, you know, especially if we think about this from a two age perspective, even a two kingdom, although that's a little bit more narrow in my, my seeing of the whole thing is, you know, there is a lot of, we're not talking about like an absolute straitjacket of everything you ever think about. Rather, rather what you're talking about is bringing all the weight of that to bear on whatever situation you're, you're dealing with. And so hopefully you see some of that as we roll through the issues over the, the days and months and years. And, um, and yeah, hopefully it is helpful. I mean, I did get some actually, you know, in all honesty, some positive feedback, just people appreciating the discussion, uh, you know, even if they end up disagreeing with uh, the, the, the various points made um just the you know the the discussion is what it was stimulating some thought there and hopefully not in a way that i mean we're still friends at the end of it yeah it counts for something you know <clears throat> and that's how everyone should be we should all just hold hands and sing kumbaya, kumbaya. <laughs> i didn't mean that literally i was just uh no we don't do hindi was, songs wasn't yet. My sorry cue. andre <laughs> but um i did like i did like the outro last week where you were singing in fact that song got stuck in my head the whole week because i had to edit the video which one was, please don't cry tonight by no, guns was, and roses no don't stop me uh don't it was the mnet <laughs> it's mnet oh you guys had a brilliant outro there so yeah Anyway, Dude, what did you think of that Guns N' Roses cover? Man? I loved it. I loved every second of it. I put it on Facebook because I knew you didn't have it. So I just threw that up there. <laughs> and I'm, oh, was that where it came from? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a bluegrass Welcome cover of, yeah, of uh, Don't, uh, what's Don't Cry it? Tonight. Don't Cry Tonight. Yeah. So if you're a Guns N' Roses fan, you'll appreciate it. I, I dig that band though. What are they called again? Walk, walk, walk Off the Earth. Yeah. yeah. I've seen a few Pretty good ones from them. And then a few oh, like so disasters as well. They probably didn't get the vaccine. No, probably not yeah that's true um all right now before we get rabbit trailed um we're on to uh our next chapter in covenant theology biblical theological historical perspectives um i forgot to mention my news i've got some cool news i think people this is relevant for the for the for the episode let's hear um, it. i've been in discussion with um uh grace theological college our only 
Reform College in New Zealand. And, um, and next year have uh, been asked to teach a few um, subjects for them. And so actually for the next two years, and so we'll probably see how it goes from there, but, but super exciting because the first one is biblical theology 101, you know, right. so just, just get to do the overview um, and the intro into the discipline. And then uh, after that, biblical theolo theology 102, which would be Pentateuch focused on Genesis, which is, you know, come on guys, I'm bringing it up and this is, uh, can I get an amen? And then, um, and then uh, after that, uh, moving into the writings, focusing on the Psalms. And then after that, moving into the prophets, focusing on Isaiah. So, you know, four, four uh, subjects, biblical theology, I suppose, getting a little bit more difficult as you go there. Um, but, but that is super exciting because that is, um, you know, just a, a way to kind of, I don't know, make the, make the world a more biblical theological place. Amen. Yeah. <clears throat> Bring Klein to the masses, bro. I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, Klein and Voss and just, just because what I love about the, what they have emphasized there and I got the lecture as soon as I, um, you know, as they were sort of checking me out and thinking things, uh, think, thinking things through, they were um, saying, you know, one of the things we've really wanted to emphasize at this college is Vassian biblical theology from the ground up to mm -hmm. show. So I'm like, oh, yes, this is beautiful, nice. you know, and so very exciting. So anyways, I'll keep everyone listening uh informed on that because um i'll be teaching it live but remotely uh from wellington and the campus is in auckland um and so due to lockdown and other reasons and just i suppose just just broadening it out you know it, it makes it possible for you know people to audit uh <clears throat> and uh if they want to even uh, fit into one of the programs there they could possibly do that even if they don't uh live in new zealand i don't i don't know exactly what the the deal is there but at least um i can send you in that direction so uh if you are interested in this and you do want some more structure on the biblical theology side well there we go there's gonna be a formal class on that soon right. so that's, good, uh, that's cool um all right so on that point though we've been working through biblical theology covenant um uh this, this uh, covenant theology from a biblical theological standpoint, still uh, going through uh, getting to the Gospels. And um, and we've got Michael Kruger, who's the canon guy. Mm. Um, so we've been looking forward to this one. And it was a great article, was it not? Should we just say that up front? Yeah, very good. It was, um, I very think, my good. favorite, even maybe Van Pelton in this one afterwards. You know, this is... Um, it was a fantastic survey. I don't Fantastic. think he didn't drill down into everything, but he certainly touched on everything, which yeah. was really well, good. Yeah, well, he, you know, just um, doing our unashamed uh, plug for Meredith Klein. Um, I, I love the way that he just, you know, just really brought that big thing that Klein brings to the table on the subject um, right in there, wove it right into the uh, the article. And then, I mean, there are some some gems that, that Klein does bring out. Maybe we, we can kind of mention them as we go that he didn't touch on, but you know, you can understand why, cause he's got a, a massive amount of material to cover, but uh, in general, just that whole covenant structure thing and uh, how Exodus yep. and, and the gospels and how the Pentateuch and the gospels really work together in terms of the ancient Near Eastern uh, covenants. And yeah, all of it's there. And at least you got enough to point you in the right direction in terms of footnotes. And so it's a great article on that front. And then just in general, it was, it just covered all the ground. Well, it's a lot of ground to cover, yep. but I like the way that he did it. You know, he sort of everything, it wasn't just, covenant in the gospels it was like covenant in the whole bible through the lens of the gospels right yeah. and uh so it was a big a big task but he, he got it done well um yeah any other uh, first thoughts there before we jump in 
no maybe just to say before we jump in the the basic structure that he followed was was super good so he just looked at the the gospels he recognized that the, the word covenant is not very pervasive it's, it's yeah. predominantly used around the institution of the lord's supper yeah but even though the word is not there the concepts uh are throughout all the gospels and he looks at it through the lens of firstly a covenant of works and then he looks at it through the various administrations of the covenant of grace yeah, and I thought you know that was excellent. You know, just there's your bifurcation. Definitely want to read the the gospels through the lens of the covenant of works, but then you also definitely want to read through the lens of the covenant of grace, and then nuancing that with Moses, David, Abraham, Abraham, Moses, David. Yeah. Mm. What did yeah. you guys think about the 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 way he set up the covenant of works and the covenant of grace and the way? he dealt particularly with Moses in in that you know in basically fully including it as part of the covenant of grace I didn't sense a, lot, a huge amount of nuance there but I didn't know if I just missed something well yeah I mean I think I was putting that in the in the sort of um like it wasn't really what he was like the, the, all the stuff that mattered on that point came through in the recapitulation and what Christ was doing and earning, uh, you know, the obedience or at least the, you know, doing a covenant works full throttle. And it, I, at least I didn't get tripped up on, on his treatment of the, of the Mosaic covenant. And then also, um, you know, I think what you see, I mean, one of the things that I think is the genius of Klein's covenant theology really is that you can say no problem that the, the whole thing is an administration of the covenant of grace. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've got the subservient element. So it's just a matter of detail that he didn't necessarily cover. But, you know, just in light of where the paper was, it would almost be tedious to, to look at it again at this point. So so I was kind of happy that he, that he just moved on. If it was a standalone thing, maybe maybe more um, more was needed there. But you know what I was thinking? Perhaps um, just, well, he does open up this way. He says, um, as Nick just mentioned, the covenants, um, the, the Greek word there, diatheke, um, is used only sparsely, oh, sparsely in the <laughs> canonical Gospels four times. Sorry, I speak in Greeklish. <laughs> um, it was a very sparsed. Sparse. You've been speaking English deliciously ever since you was a kid. Sparsonenomai. It was used sparsonenomai in the canonical Gospels four times to be exact three times uh, around the last supper before i forget this i think this is it might come up again but just uh one of the things that client does bring out which i think is just mind-blowing is he he points out that um uh diatheke, the word for covenant which is obviously well known and well used um comes very close to uh in terms of the word that's used uh it's translated appointed uh if you go to luke 22 uh 29 uh let me just quickly get there luke 22 29 and i oh it's a sign in the esv and i assign to you jesus says as my father assigned to me a kingdom and that word assign um is uh dear tithemi okay and that is you can tell it sounds like uh dear theke and um you know, just leaving aside the massive lexical study for a moment, just you can see that, you know, it has this uh, idea of covenant attached to it. So long song and dance, you can, you could possibly translate uh, that very, tra that very sentence as I covenanted to you mm -hmm. as my father covenanted <laughs> unto me a kingdom, 
which, you know, I'm not sure if he's treating that as one of the mentions of the covenant there. Probably not actually, but, um, you know, that would be one of the major deals right there, because what that's doing is it's showing the new covenant in its relationship to the eternal covenant and showing how the two are really organically related, or the one is a, the, the, climate, the high point of the, the historical fulfillment of the other. And, um, and then you have something similar happening when uh, it doesn't necessarily use the, the language in the same way, but in John 17, uh, 4, the high priestly prayer, of course, where Klein brings out that this is, um, you know, the way that Christ, the Father and the Son, uh, or the, the Father, the Son is speaking to the Father in the way that uh, he's revealing this information about their agreement, so to speak, that if he now, like, let me now, I've done the work you've called me to do, let me enter into the glory that I shared with you before. Um, that that is what constitutes a covenant in all senses of biblical usage so you know you've got something very very profound that you could just look right over he does mention like you know you, you need the concept to be there more than the word itself yeah and it's those little things that really you know together with those <clears throat> clear instances of the word covenant and, and obviously there's a lot more that we could talk about but it, it it leaves you just with a punch in the face you know this is not a this is not a small little point this is the climax of high priestly prayer of or yeah. those final moments really where jesus is going right now i covenant to you a kingdom man and then he's he's referring to this uh this this eternal covenantal transaction so uh it really it wouldn't be too much to say that covenant is a major major thing in the gospel just on those points alone let alone the millions of other things we could bring up yeah amen That's yeah good. i like the i like the point that he made about that when when he starts to talk about what the what the gospels actually are mm. um you know, because obviously there's a there's a huge, you know, a whole a whole set of 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 ink spilled on on this. Um, right. It's a, like it's a big issue. It's a big biography. Or... Is the very nature of the Gospels, and then right. like the bio and, and that kind of yeah. thing. But the like, is it a kind of a a Greek biography? So not quite a modern biography, but a Greek biography, so and so. On. But the point he simply makes is that the problem with all those views of what the Gospels are. Is that they don't factor in just how much the gospels are seeking to connect Christ to what has yeah. come before, and and for that reason alone, they're all insufficient descriptions of what the the gospels are. That is well said because, um, mm. uh, you know, when you come to think about the covenants, and then you see how all of these covenants are finding their way to Christ, you realize that he's much. It's much more than just a biography of of this heroic figure who did some cool stuff, but yeah. it's actually about the culmination of, of, you know, years and years and years of preparation yeah. to, to get us to that point. Yeah. So Klein's point is that, you know, covenantal documents by nature have an historical aspect. Mm -hmm. And so the historical accounts of the gospels are part of the covenantal nature mm. uh, of the gospels. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, very important. Yeah. And then if you, I mean, structure of biblical authority and, you know, just various other places uh, in his essays, <clears throat> Klein really brings that out and just goes in major detail as to these amazing connections, you know, to the, the way, well, I suppose starting with the ancient Near Eastern sort of uh, parameters and framework and, you know, just, just how, um, well, I suppose, you know, almost like, like you might say for the gospels, had they just been a kind of Greco-Roman form of biography, it would be imbibing some of that background to 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 be used to speak about Jesus. Well, you know, Klein makes the same point for 
maybe even more forcefully than that that you know this this ancient near eastern uh treaty structure is is just really important to to grasp as a context because that's the way uh it gets set out um in the old testament the pentateuch and, and uh, exodus and so forth and um and then that enables him to see okay well these are the these are the features you know that you would be looking for and those features are here yeah, in the in the gospel accounts and the way he explains it is it, it's just it's mind expanding <laughs> it really is because everything just starts clicking into place and you realize oh man this is you know it's it's beyond the point of this just being not biography you know because it doesn't quite get at it when you go i mean i appreciated what jonathan pennington said there uh, he was quoted in this essay you know this isn't good news I mean, this isn't just biography it's good news and yeah, you know exactly. just making that point that we're on a different category altogether and that's true <clears throat> but really klein what he does is he shows you how that Biblically speaking, is just this unbelievable unity. So, um, and, and it opens up so many points that could be probed further by way of interpretation and application, and you know things I didn't, even, I haven't gotten around to doing. But whenever I go there, my mind just starts going a thousand miles an hour because it's just like, oh my goodness! I'm glad I preached through the Gospels before I read Klein in some ways because I think he would have freaked me out and I would have had a, I would have had some sort of, um, you know, uh, breakdown. <laughs> It would have been it's too a lot, much. It's a lot of hard work. I had to preach on the Transfiguration, and I thought, man, I've got to recline on this before I preach it. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, a good general rule of thumb for everything, though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there are just some things you don't want to miss, like the, world, the temptation in the wilderness. Exactly. I know. Maybe I should just do my master's on Klein. I mean, why am I bothering with all this other <laughs> stuff? I, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Um, but... <laughs> You know, it does. It just leaves you completely overwhelmed sometimes. And you're just like, I don't even know what to say now. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just, I just, I'm just going to go over everyone's head. Yeah. I just, I just want to, I just want to love Jesus and follow him and <laughs> read my Bible every day. And, you know, that's what your, your sermon ends up being, you know, just, it just falls flat. But um, it's like that Thomas Aquinas moment where everything is dust now. There's no point. Going <laughs> no point. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, in, in that sense, I thought, you know, just, just looking what he did, yeah, just great little summary pieces. Um, um, I, I like yeah. the way he connected it to Exodus. So the, the Gospels yeah. as a, Exodus being the closest Old Testament parallel to what the Gospels are. Right. Um, right. I think it was helpful. Exactly. Um, I'll read the quote, Meredith Klein, uh, recognizing the unequivocal Old Testament backdrop has argued that the Gospels are best understood as covenant documents. In particular, Klein suggests that the book of Exodus is the closest counterpart to the Gospels. And Klein says, the book of Exodus appears to have the same thematic focus and to exhibit comprehensively the same literary structure as the Gospels. The book of Exodus is an Old Testament Gospel, the Gospel of Moses. So uh, very good and very helpful there. Um, but, you know, the things that he's looking for there, as he points out a little bit later on, is that, you know, the, the life of the covenant mediator, that you see that in Exodus, you see that in, in the, the gospel accounts, the deliverance of God's covenant people. These are not small points, like they, they're not obscure scholarly points. They're the things that you see when you first read through Exodus. Um, the inauguration of the covenant, the, the new law delivered by a covenant mediator, these are the very things that are then uh, echoed in, in the gospel the accounts. The building of a covenant tabernacle. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, 
And he does mention the structural connections between the Gospels and uh, Exodus are confirmed in two ways. First, the extent of Moses' Exodus typology, and this stuff will preach. You know, this is the stuff that, that um, you know, if you don't know about, as Nick was saying, you just want to get your head around this before you preach anything to do with uh, Matthew. Um, you know, even like John in the opening there, where it's, this is a new Genesis, as it were, you know, where you've got that whole in the beginning. It's kind of like one of those things. You've just got to, you've got to, you don't really, you start off really badly if you don't get that point. Uh, but Jesus portrayed as the new Moses, he's leading a new Exodus, giving a new law, this new mountain, this, you know, just all the things going on there, the final parts of a sacrifice. Um, and then the more technical point, I think, was just that, you know, the teaching fits into the standard treaty language of covenantal texts. And that's obviously where, you know, it gets, if you're not like super psyched about reading this stuff, then it gets a bit <laughs> tedious and difficult. But, you know, I think it's very, very interesting. So if anyone did want to read more about that uh, in Structured Biblical Authority or any of clients' essays, um, you've got all these amazing things that you can then see Jesus is doing. You know, he's, he's um, you know, even just in the matters of him teaching how to live and the, you know, the, um, the discipline elements and the covenant breaking and all those elements are kind of tied into what, what is happening there in ways you never would have seen otherwise. So definitely very helpful for anyone who wants to check that out. Um, just can I, can I highlight just one more thing on, on the yeah. whole Gospels as Covenant? Because it's one of those things where he kind of touched on and really it could have been a whole essay in and of itself. But the whole idea of, of the canon being connected to yeah. to covenant yeah um and i think uh he says uh, i think so first um the covenantal nature of these books means that they are not so much human testimony about god as they are god's testimony to humans about yeah. the terms yeah. of his covenant through jesus god Mind is blown. the maker of the divine covenants and therefore rightly understood to be the author of the well um, you know covenant documents. I've, i mean i've often said this i think on on these episodes that like it is the solution to the the canon problem, you know. It really, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just like I don't. I, it feels unfathomable to me that people, like there are there are a few. There are three. There are three books that everyone just has to read on canon if they want to figure it out. If I may be so bold, right? The oh, first is then. structure of biblical authority. Okay. Key. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is like your Old Testament canon. Um, the 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 redemptive uh i'm forgetting ridabas ridabas uh, oh yeah that would be new testament what is it called again uh, yeah, i should really remember the name uh, redemptive history but... in the new testament or something like that yeah can't see it on my shelf anyway that was a fail i feel Sorry. like you've got to mention kruger's book though as well no 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 no, no, no kruger's, kruger's book messed me up personally i um okay. i had to this is yeah this is actually why it might be extremely relevant to I mean, Kruger was good for that general information about everything and, you know, like, um, but I didn't find the answers I was looking for, you know, um, and we're talking about his, his latest book on canonicity. Um, well, I don't know how many he has, but, but, uh, the one that came out recently. Um, but yeah, I mean, I remember, I don't know if you guys read it, but it was just, it, you know, it definitely was very helpful, informative, you know, it's obviously quite an authority in the field, but I just, when I was looking for, like, how does it actually work though? What are we actually doing here? What, I want those answers and how that relates to the Bible as it unfolds. My goodness, nothing even comes close to what Klein was saying there. And Klein then, and Rudabas both bring theological 
reasons for canon that are grounded in the text of scripture itself exactly as opposed exactly. to the external phenomena around what the church was doing as they were people of a book etc yeah, etc exactly and none of it goes against what's going on i mean you there's a way to reconcile all the information ultimately with what what, what is being said the, theologically you might have a different read on you know a council that happened 300 years later or so forth but um effectively you, you know how to deal with that uh, and then the other one i was going to mention is warfield's uh, little essay on um it's not even a book you know it's just that little essay in fact i wonder if klein even has an essay on this so you might you might not even have to read the whole structure of biblical uh, structure of biblical authority it might be just that essay that he wrote on canonicity um so maybe you could even get away with just an essay and then ritabas is a very small book that little um that one that he put out it's it's dense but it's it's quite small it's readable oh very and i mean you can do it in a couple of hours i think so and then um and then just warfield so like you know you know if you, if you treated it like that if you were really vexed about this issue i think that would be extremely helpful for anyone looking yeah. into or and, and look for me it was just like it was it was mind-bendingly good because you don't get this stuff anywhere you look in canonicity no. it's just it's just they all treat the same ground and it's all about this and and it really amounts yeah. to how the, all that. it feels Luke, a little Luke bit like did his historical research and Peter quoted yeah. Paul. Oh, it's yeah. ridiculous. And then, yeah. and then you've got the, um, you know, it, I always, even if they don't say it in so many terms, I always come away from those books thinking, um, so basically it's just down to how the church really felt about the book, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's basically yeah. what it feels like it comes down to. Like it's, you know, the spirit is illumining the church, of course, but you know, like still, like it feels that subjective at the end yeah. of the day. And then you read all this stuff and you realize, oh my goodness, it, we got it absolutely on its head here. Totally. And um, and so yeah, those guys just straighten things out and they leave and you. Maybe with just such to a... highlight the main well, the main point for me from Klein's argument is that whenever God establishes a covenant, uh, you never have a covenant without a covenant document that accompanies that that covenant. Yes. So the relationship between God and his people come, it's it's there is always that historical prologue. There are always those stipulations, always the blessings and the curses that come alongside of it. The, the relationship of covenant comes into existence and, and there's this canon which bears witness to this relationship and you never have the covenant without, without its accompanying yeah. canon. And so there's the covenant demands the canon. Right. It's called and redemptive. You can't have one without it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and then flowing on that point and rounding off some elements, I think, well, in the New Testament, redemptive history and the New Testament scriptures is what Rodebas' so book is called. It just complements. I mean, they should publish those as like a little package deal or something, you know, because <laughs> that, that would be um, oh, just such Maybe a great... we should do it as a package deal. Giveaway. Maybe. Ah, <laughs> that's very gracious of you. Are you paying? Why don't you just do it as a master's thesis? Uh, ah. Well, actually, you, you joke, but I was just. Uh, <laughs> you were processing that. <laughs> All right. Well, I still then, got uh, time. I still got time to change my thesis. You, you, it's okay. Totally. I change it every week, anyway. Um, so that, and then Warfield. Let's quickly while we've got Warfield, uh, Canonis. Because he's got his big book, of course. Yeah. yeah, but just that essay is all you need. Apostolicity of it's called something like that. Um, let's see. Um, yeah okay it's just called the canon of the new testament um how and when formed yeah um what a great little essay that was and then um it actually while we're on a roll here uh just thinking about if you do want to tie those you know you were mentioning nick just the way the redemptive event happens and then you've got this document and you know covenant forms canon and so forth um 
and how the miracles are all intertwined with that, you know, and how the signs are purposeful. They're not like some random revival from some charismatic group. They're just, they're totally wound up into this whole story, you know, and, and you really are going to be hard. If you don't get this right, you will be hard pressed to get a good doctrine of canonicity together. Yeah. Hence Warfield's, you know, argument ultimately about cessationism. I think it is very important actually, because what we're dealing with is the cessation of that redemptive revelation um hebrews 1 verse 1 essentially and um and so there, there was a great little book i haven't found anything better uh but i can't remember its name uh it, it's by walt chantry uh signs of the apostles i think would oh, be yeah. my best get is that did i get that right <clears throat> signs of the apostles yeah signs of the apostles just fantastic tiny little book because i'm just thinking in the realm of like get four little books together like that and little slithers almost like pamphlets and palmer just... robertson the final word also another little one another little one okay good yeah well, uh you know that that one by Chantry was freaking brilliant. You know, it just it was so to the point, stuck to this redemptive revelation thing. Really made a very clear, concise case. Um, so it's not necessarily that you have to read that and then go, you know, anti-charismatic, but just to formulate your doctrine of canonicity. Um, I think those books will, would be really helpful. And if we were very loving, we would put that on the show notes. I'll leave, <laughs> I'll leave that an open question. We'll just throw that little tease out there. Will we? Won't we? Are we? Aren't we? Anyway, okay. Um, so, I think we should do I lost it. my place. What's that? Okay, so we're getting back to uh, the covenant of works and the covenant of grace in the Gospels. Yes. So, yeah. part two of Michael Kruger's article. Part two. And he did a great job with that as well. Yeah. Um, story of the Gospels as fulfillment of God's covenant uh, promises, the story itself. And I like the way he brings out this. Um, this idea and i felt this too when preaching you know through the gospels but like if you if you're just all about okay we get the the death part quite easily you know but it's like you're and we get the incarnation part like okay god had to be a man he had to die uh you know in jesus and the cross and then there's go you got a lot of material to cover from in between if you're preaching through four gospels you gotta you get know? the whole act of obedience part in. oh my goodness and if you don't have like if it's not if it doesn't like if there's no category for active obedience and recapitulation and and uh born and, under the law and fulfilling the law yeah yeah and not only that but like how what exactly is going on and what the significance of the recapitulative moment is you know you got to explain all of that as well you can't just go well this is somehow you know jesus doing some active obedience thing that was required this it's always more significant than that there's some like pinnacle thing going on that requires quite an intense knowledge of the old testament so um I mean, I think this point couldn't be more important if you want to get a, a robust understanding of the story. Um, and it really changes the game because like, yeah, the wilderness temptation, you know, the um, those those profound, like obvious moments where, you know, he, here he is being tempted by the devil again. It's regarding eating, you know, uh, wow. Like that's not a problem normally. Is, is it a sin for you to eat anything? You know, uh, or it, would it be a sin for you to turn stones into bread? Um, you know, no, but, but if you're, if you're, uh, walking as the last Adam, uh, you know, grasping at, at your divinity, you know, in order to save humanity. Yeah. Well, it's a if whole different If you are the game. son of man. Yeah. yeah. If you are the son. Prove it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so things like that are just, wow, just a total, total mind bend. And, uh, you realize the intentionality of the whole thing. I don't know. For, for me, all of this. You come away from it going uh, there is just no doubt that the bible is the word of god it is inspired at every turn and yeah. you know this is the kind of stuff that brings that out um and it's so liberating to 
to also just from those things realize that those stories aren't about us yes you know i was reading the bible with someone from my church the other day and they just kept kept on every time we read that that um the temptation passage mm. you know, they just kept on making it about us and the way we deal with temptation and i had to keep saying uh, i mean look there is something we can learn you gotta uh, memorize your bible verses quote deuteronomy you know? yeah but yeah. it's very you know it's very very secondary compared to what is actually going on here one who was tempted on our behalf because we can't stand the test, the testing. Yeah. 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 I think we, yeah, I remember bringing this point out well the other day, um, whenever that was, we were dealing with another chapter and just, we were saying kind of like, it's not you, you're not even in the ring. You know, it's, it's the blue corner yeah. and the red corner and you're nowhere to be found. You're cowering somewhere, uh, you yeah. know, while David's taking care of it for you, you know, and, and that's basically, you know, the, 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 the jump, I think we, we miss if, uh, or, or the, the way we jump, we miss that if uh, we don't keep those points in mind. And and that's to miss that is is going to put a lot of pressure on you because yeah, well, it's to miss if the gospel, you don't have yeah. Christ doing it for you, you will have to fill it yourself. That, that's the only the only alternative. Yeah. And so yeah. if you end up reading the Bible where you are the hero, my goodness, you know, yeah. that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. And so just to sort of zero in on what Kruger's doing here. So the way in which the covenant of works is being uh put into the gospels is through Christ's role as the second Adam mm. and that his, his, that him being the second Adam is reinforced in so many ways, the temptation, mm-hmm. um, even the genealogies, you know, he's the, yep. he's the, the son of Adam, he's yep. the son of God, mm-hmm. uh, the titles, he's the son of man, yep. uh, the demons uh, attesting to his righteousness, his purity, the fact that he's not a sinner, yep. uh, all important to his role as, as, uh, as the second Adam. So, so as, you, as you're reading through the Gospels, you need to see Christ as the last Adam mm. who is triumphing where we have failed, mm. who is obeying where we have disobeyed. Mm. Yeah, you've got key. Adam, the fallen son, uh, you know, and then another covenant with Israel, the corporate son, you know, and then they are the sons with whom God is not well pleased, you know. Yeah. And then you get to this heavenly voice declaring Jesus to be the son with whom he is well pleased you know it's it's like whoa the the story uh, all of a sudden and you you see the connection directly that way and you see how how the death matters and how the life matters as a as a um as a substitution for 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 mankind um one thing I, you know one, one thing he brought out here even the he was talking about the transfiguration and just on the two Adam focus, you were saying, you know, that 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 bright shining clothing was even something of that eschatological glory that um, that Adam could have had uh, as he had entered into. And I thought it's probably a lot. I don't know. There might be more to it than that. You know, I think that there there is a sense probably in which, you know, you've got Sinai and God himself being the revealer of that glory. And yet Jesus is showing himself to be the source of that glory in many ways and to be himself God. Um I think that you could make a case of something like that was going on, but um, the, you know, that's not to undermine. And I really appreciated that he brought this point up because often, you know, this is what you're looking for. Is there going to be an eschatology in view for him uh, before the fall? And, uh, and I think that's what he has in mind here that, 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 you know, certainly as Jesus stands as the firstborn of many brothers now, and as he, uh, you know, as we will receive this glory, that's amazing. In fact, I was just preaching, um, on Hebrews in chapter two, where it says that it gives him, gives man, it bestows to man honor and glory. Um, and then, in, and then it just says that about Jesus, he is the one to whom honor and glory is given. And uh, you have the sense in which, you know, Jesus 
at that level. I mean, honor and glory. That's the kind of thing that you would talk about for God alone. And yet here's the thing that he's sharing with man, that he's bestowed on man, that he invites man into in, in, in Sabbath glory and rest. And so it's, you know, so much going on on a point like that. You know, I mm. feel like you could you could really bring so much more out if you just have that understanding, you know. Two I layers it, of glory, the divine layer as well yeah. as his fulfilling righteousness layer. Yeah. And I think probably where most people would go is that, you know, okay, well, this is Jesus showing himself to be God. So it's just a, you know, they just jump to the ontology, I suppose. Yeah. And, and that's the, the well-worn path in Christian history and so forth. But, but, you know, this is that biblical theological freshness element that doesn't doesn't take that away it just supplements it, it and enriches yeah. it yeah exactly yeah. Deepens it. um cool so yeah those are those are great points and just um you know again if you did want to we're not we're not even trying to do this article justice so if you did want to go and read it you have to buy the book but um in sum just to help you out if you are listening in and and want to just get a sense of what he said uh in sum we see in the canonical gospels a presentation of jesus as the second adam the obedient son who succeeds where the first Adam failed. Thus, we can say that the Gospels present Jesus as the one who meets the righteous requirements of the covenant of works on behalf mm. of those he represents. Um, so that's great. And then he moves into the covenant of grace um, and, and uh, shows how this all works, which I thought also some fantastic points here. One of the, one of the things that I really um, uh, appreciate is, uh, well, actually, I hadn't seen uh, in Luke, um, he uh, alludes to Zechariah um, as the one who would fulfill the holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. That's such a direct, you know, wow. Okay, Jesus <laughs> is the fulfillment of the covenant promises. He is that's the promised seed. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's sort of like the text I've been looking for in some ways. You know, I don't know. I can't believe how I'd missed that one. But uh, that's in he Luke He's the miraculous 1. son of Abraham who would come by promise. Exactly. Luke 172, if anyone wants to check that out, very, very helpful. Um, but then other than that, you know, things like the Great Commission, you know, you, you really, uh, you have, it's like, it'll always be a truncated understanding unless you understand this Great Commission to be the fulfillment of the blessing that will go out to all nations, certainly. But Amen. in a covenantal sense, you know, he is the seed that will make the blessing go out to all nations. And then that allows you to dig even further because the seed in view there is 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 the seed promised in genesis three fifteen, and so Amen. you know you've got <clears throat> one story and uh and you get a sense then for the first time of the enormity of that moment as jesus says now all authority has been given to me you know therefore go and you're like wow the new the new humanity here he is the new adam you know declaring this mandate from the new eden you know go forth and create a new humanity you know firstly all all thoughts of dominion mandate the enemy style are just shut, you know, because you can't do that. You can't make a new humanity, even if you wanted to, you know, with your laws and politics. Um, go forth with the preaching of the gospel, bring into being a new yeah. humanity that even now will exist and yet will enter into the, the eschaton. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, wow, just you're not you're not going to tack that onto a sermon. That's going to be that's going to be the sermon. That's going to be the heart of it, you know. Yeah. So uh, what Kruger does. Yeah, carry on. I was just going to just point out how Kruger structures. Um, so we've moved out of the covenant of works into the covenant of grace, and he structures how the covenant of grace can be seen in the Gospels around the various administrations of the covenant of grace, mm. looking at the Abrahamic covenant, mm. the Mosaic covenant, and the Davidic covenant. 
And so just to highlight that what everything Mike's commenting on falls under the umbrella of what's going on with mm. reference to the Abrahamic covenant, looking through the lens of the covenant of grace. Yep. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was, I was only going to point out that I, I think it has huge implications for not only the theonomy debate and, and in terms of politics, but also, I mean, our world is so much about care for creation at the moment. And there's so much confusion mm. coming mm. from the church about, why we do that and mm. and how we do that and what the end goal of that is going to be and and all of that i think if you if you're viewing the great commission in that context mm. as the new humanity and through the preaching of the gospel this is how the new creation is brought into into being that that has huge implications for how we think about um you know all the green stuff as well yeah uh, and yep. our stewardship of the world yeah and it doesn't mean therefore you know forget about you know don't polish a sinking ship kind of thing it, it just means uh you know you you take care of your body because you will have a resurrection body you know it's not you don't take care of your body to make it a resurrection body you don't uh you know uh you know uh treat it with dignity and respect and and a sense of reverence now you know just because you know it's gonna die uh you know at least um you don't forsake those things just because you you know you're gonna die rather you know the resurrection is what gives the creation its dignity so to speak and so you know it, i think um i can't remember who i think it might have been a, a, if i could get this totally wrong but i think it's attributed to luther that's what i'm about to say but uh, it, yeah. it totally wasn't luther i think this is one of those stories and uh where he's like well what you know they asked him what would you do if you knew jesus was coming back tomorrow and he said i'd plant a tree <laughs> yeah. you know and yeah. just to really drive home that point uh, you know you're not you know he's not worried about the tree but he's doing what he should do um yeah. as a christian he's not saving the world by no. planting a tree um he's not bringing about the new creation by planting a tree yeah. He's not fulfilling any kind of great commission by planting a tree, but he's still planting a tree. Yeah. Yeah. God's not realizing his shalom through Christian good works. There we go. And, and, you know, the thing is that helps, you know, that helps. And I think it's a point that you have to make. Uh, we must make this point because really fundamentally then it comes down like it's a almost, you know, practically speaking, we're all doing the same thing. We're all Christians thinking Christianly, we're, you know, doing everything for the glory of God, doing really fundamentally the same thing. Um, trying to have a Christian worldview in the way that we approach things. It's really motivation in many ways, but, but that motivation will keep in check some, you know, ideas, unless, lest, lest you did want to create Shalom by the planting of your tree. And, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that might I mean. mean but, it, it has to do with the whole doctrine of stewardship, you know, under a covenant of works, when Adam was put under the covenant of works as a steward, it had an eschatological hope, but after yeah. the fall, we're under a common grace version of stewardship. Yep. which doesn't have an eschatological hope but it's still a mandate but it's still a mandate it's still a mandate so it's yeah. still a pattern of human life but we can no longer fulfill its original purpose under mm -hmm. a covenant of works so christ has to come as the second adam who will yeah. fulfill the eschatological hope as the perfect steward yeah so we and just he will create a new heavens and a new earth exactly yeah. so we don't we don't we don't hope in it you know we don't hope in it as the thing we have to do to bring up and that's exactly what's going on you think about the greeny stuff you know it's that utopian right. sort of you know they want yeah. there, there there is hope there there is some sort of hope and yeah you don't want to buy into that at all and you know yeah. but, and, but and poor greta thunberg being pushed out as this kind of messianic figure of <laughs> the, of this kind of false hope and, and the children thinking, will oh, lead them alone. she's just a kid man you know out of the mouth of babes yeah. but the um but it falls into the the category then of the living in the in the now and the not yet and the, yep, the two exactly. ages doesn't it because yep. 
that tension of, oh, this is a good thing to do, but it doesn't fulfill the original purpose and it's not, and it's not going to save the world either, but mm. it's still a pattern that is ongoing and a good thing to do. But yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it, like, all of those things. It, it's That's why we can't know. take the cultural mandate and the Great Commission and make them one big mission. Yeah, totally. That's a, and to be sneaky, I'd even throw in, this is why I'm a Baptist, you know, <laughs> for this very kind of thing in that we... You know, we're not there yet, but we behave a certain way. We reckon these things to be true. We are modeling things off that which is to come. Um, and so, you know, we're not, it's true that we, we don't know who the elect are and who the regenerate are and, you know, whatever, but, but we're, uh, we're behaving as a group that's coming out from the world and declaring our allegiance to Christ. And, and uh, when we come to church, you have a group of, that basically represents what is yet to come. Some, some, some miracle is, like dropped on this place where all of a sudden yeah. in a world that hates Jesus, yeah, you have this group in this room that are singing praises to his name and declaring his, you know, and I realize that that's not just Baptists, that's everyone, but that's all Christians. But, um, you know, th that's kind of the Baptist model right there to you go. You can't be born into it through your parents. Exactly. There's something you have to be that, born that, again into it. You have to enter into the eschaton. It's, it's, there's something about the new humanity idea. Yeah, exactly. Right. So that's, that's related to, and, um, you know, obviously that's a whole nother train of thought there, but, um, Okay, well, I mean, Mosaic Covenant, Mosaic Covenant, boom. Now, one of the things I think we've done, you know, just coming back to what you were saying earlier there, um, Andrea, is that what he says, you know, you've got this undergirding reality that are obviously all fulfilled in Christ with the temple and the priests and everything. And that's all happening during the, t the Mosaic economy, as we said last time. Uh, and you've got this, um, this, uh, this, this other side that we've just spoken about in terms of the works covenant. So you've got to just reconcile that somehow during Moses's time and republication is a good way to do that. And, um, you know, obviously we feel that Klein has done that well. Uh, he doesn't specify it in so many words yeah. but I think, you know, because he brings out those big truths one way or another, you kind of have to land in that direction. I wouldn't, um, I typically what I've seen is that people who don't want to emphasize the Mosaic covenant as a, a republished covenant of works are less likely to emphasize the, you know, the act of uh, obedience of Christ under the works of the law as the second Adam. Uh, maybe a great example of that would be Norman Shepard, you know, who pretty much, uh, you know, just, just canceled active obedience altogether and just, just sort of left that to us, you know? Um, <laughs> so there, there, I think is, thankfully not everyone goes that extreme, but you know, that's kind of where it, where it leads to, that's the tension. So, um, you know, I, reading through this, I, I felt very satisfied with all the little angles that he covered. And then I like what he puts as well with the Davidic covenant as a mature expression of the Mosaic covenant, because that kind of covers both both the grace and the works element. You know, you've got this, uh, there's something that's getting fine tuned in there with regard to the, the messianic undergirding hope. But then in terms of it is, that's exactly what it is in terms of the, the works element. You know, it's like it's this matured works concept yeah. now with a federal representative focus. And so that was helpful. Yeah, definitely. Very good. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think, let's see, what else have we got here? Um, it should be noted that this new Messianic kingdom has a new type of kingdom. Oh, this is where I was going to bring on my Baptist bit. Sorry. Uh, it, it should be noted that this <laughs> new Messianic kingdom has a new type of kingdom membership. Oh, <laughs> I, highlighted, I highlighted that as well. Krug is not a Baptist, <laughs> is he? <laughs> I don't think he is a Baptist. He couldn't be. <laughs> He's but definitely not a Baptist. He's not a Baptist. Yeah. 
Has he become a Baptist wow. since he wrote this? <laughs> um, Jesus is the son of David. Sorry, Jesus, the son of David, will constitute and regather a new Israel, a renewed people of God. And as we noted, with the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, membership in the new kingdom is not predicated on ethnic descent. So that really captures what we were saying a little while ago. Uh, well, uh, and then let me just read one little thing to bring us to the conclusion. In sum, we've seen that the Gospels are very much focused on how the ministry of Jesus is a completion and fulfillment of the prior administrations of the one covenant of grace. And um, I agree with can we, that. Can we give something, throw a few crumbs to our dispensational listeners? Nope. Nope. One of Sorry. the... <laughs> <laughs> one of the definitive marks of eschatological Israel, therefore, will be the inclusion of the Gentiles. So, yeah, the new Israel, it's, it's an expanded Israel, not a replaced Israel. Just uh, Oh, come just, on. We do replace Israel. Come on. You, we do. <laughs> Shh, don't tell them yet. <laughs> we just totally do. We are the new Israel. It's just there's no other way to look at that. You know? it's, we're not theocratic, but we're new. We're new Israel um all right sweet any uh closing thoughts there from anyone not really uh, i think in a nutshell just when you're reading the gospels it's about jesus and then if you do that you know you'll find your way to all this stuff as long as you have that basic mindset if all of this is very very new to you and mm -hmm. you're reading every account about what's going on in jesus and then not just leaping from there to say right i should go out and do likewise or something like that you mm -hmm. will then see Mm. that uh, all of the stuff um will become will become increasingly clear yeah that it's about who he is and what he is doing um you know if we read it as a gospel document rather than as a as a law document so yeah, yeah. you know where i see this being sorry nick i catch you no, off i was just going to quote from his uh, concluding statement where he says um you know he wants to stress the bicovenantal nature of uh, god's dealings with mankind the covenant of works and the covenant of grace is clearly visible and i mm. think that yeah, I think he helpfully demonstrated that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, yep. yeah. And where I see all of this being particularly helpful, as you mentioned, uh, exactly, you know, if someone's like not seeing Jesus in the Bible, you know, amen, this is a, a good thing. Um, but, you know, in terms of biblical theology, um, often you'll, you'll read through guys like really good biblical theologians, like, um, you know, perhaps not very Vassian, but, but, you know, good in that they've, they've seen the unity Goldsworthy or something comes to mind. Um, what do you mean by that? Just briefly, Mike, when you say not very Vossian. Well, they don't, they don't, they're not very, they're not concerned with eschatology that's preceding soteriology. They're not already, very, but not yet. They're yeah. already not, not yet. They're not uh, very concerned with seeing the mosaic uh, uh, covenant as a, a kind of um, uh, intrusion and foreshadowing. Typological, eschatological intrusion. <laughs> All of that stuff, <laughs> you know. All to say, this is uh this is be a good next step if anyone was moving in that direction. Um, okay, cool. Let's let's wrap it up there. Um, we will continue with the next one next week, um, and that is let's get a glimpse. Oh, covenant in Paul. There we go. Apprentice waters. And then covenant in Hebrews. I'm gonna like that one. And then covenant in Johannine epistles. And then we're only done with part one. <laughs> done with the biblical part haven't you like done historical or anything i think we might have to just quit it's gonna take the, just be like every other book study we've ever done <laughs> <laughs> it's our job to you gotta know people. when to fold them it's That's our job to introduce people to good books not to maybe not to, not to. <laughs> maybe we've just found our catchphrase 
we not not uh you know trying to work out what it means to live in two ages two but age just, sojourner but just introducing you to good books yeah <laughs> <laughs> hey guys meet covenant <laughs> theology see you later <laughs> two age sojourner <laughs> introducing yeah. you to good books <laughs> <laughs> why not let's do it cool all right cool. thanks dudes appreciate it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.